0: Welcome, everybody, to episode number four of the Fighting Irish Daily Blitz. I'm your host, Rob Fidoff, also known as RPT. You can find me at Twitter, at PFidoff. Again, that's at P and Paul, T in Tom, H-I-T in Tom again, O-F-F-Frank-Frank. Frank. Again, that's at PFidoff. I will post all these podcasts on my Twitter account, as well as any Notre Dame athletic updates. What I typically call just simply the facts, so... Please visit my Twitter account for all the downloads to these podcasts, as well as Notre Dame athletic updates. So for this podcast here, I originally was trying to do this last week, but recruiting was so hot and heavy, and I wanted to get that out of the way because that was the most current thing going on for Notre Dame football, and I wanted to take a step back and kind of just contemplate, you know, anyone that's a former Notre Dame athlete, you know, coach, Anyone more or less involved with Notre Dame athletics, when they leave Notre Dame, whether we continue to like that person or dislike them for whatever reason, I know sometimes we don't even like them when they're at Notre Dame. You know, we cheer for them, we pull for them, but we're like, I'm, you know, I can't wait till they're gone because they just weren't my favorite person. You know, they rubbed us, rubbed us the wrong way in some way. And then sometimes when they just get to the pros, they change and we just won't do not want to be affiliated with them. So I started thinking about two in particular because they were affiliated with the bad boys of the 1980s uh, of the Detroit Pistons. One being Bill Lambeer and the other, Adrian Dantley. One being more hated than the other from the general public, and that's Bill Lambeer, who's going to be the focus for for this podcast. I'll concentrate on Adrian Dantley in another podcast. Hopefully I can get that out this week. But that I need a little bit more time about because, I said, he wasn't really hated. But I think there, I really need to focus more on kind of what happened with him with the Pistons, him and Isaiah Thomas. Just to give you a preview, I'm not going to be talking too kindly about Isaiah because I think he treated, um, I think he treated Adrian pretty unfairly at the end. And it was a lot of corporate BS. Let's put it that way. In my opinion, that is. So let's focus on Bill Lambeer. For those of you that do not know Bill Lambeer, he was pretty much one of the most hated NBA players of the 1980s, and when he retired in, I believe he retired in '94. I'll get to his stats a little bit later here. But my first, um, the first time I heard of Billy and Beer was in 1987, late spring when I was a Celtic fan at that time. Just a real quick, brief synopsis of my NBA teams. I started out as a Sixer fan and a Celtic fan, then a Piston fan, then a Bull fan, and then I. As you can see, I'm pretty much a bandwagon fan in the NBA. So I, I couldn't stand this team because they were pretty much they were like this close in '87 to knocking off a older Celtic team that was just getting long in the tooth with Bird and McHale and Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge. And this team was, you know, pretty physical. They were called the Bad Boys for a reason. And a lot of people disliked them because of that. They thought it was rough play, and it was, but for the time. It, you had to do a lot to get kicked out of the NBA. Like right now, I mean, just a little check, you're going to get a foul, sometimes a flagrant foul. I, I would like to see nothing against LeBron, how he would play in today's NBA because it was a lot more physical back then. So Bill and like I said, I was 87. Uh, in the spring of 87, I would have been 11. Uh, I would have been – yeah, because I was born late 75. I would have been 11 years old. I wouldn't turn 12 until September of that year. So as an 11-year-old kid, I think mean, this guy's a jerk. Uh, from what they are saying, you know, this is a spoiled rich kid, which he was. And I'll get into that a little bit later. He And let's get to that now. He was, he was born in a you know upscale uh, suburb of Boston, raised in the Chicago suburb of Clarendon Hills. And then his family moved to Palos Verdes Estates. His father was a high-level executive for Owens, Illinois. And they said here, Lambeer famously joked, I'm the only NBA player who makes less money than his father. And if you just kind of, not to judge a book by its cover, but if you just looked at B- Lambeer, he just had that nose up in the air, smug look. I mean, just it's like, you could t- you say, this guy's a jerk. And that's what I thought at the time. And again, dirty play. The first time I really heard of him. He uh, took a real hard foul on Larry Bird, and Bird didn't take too kindly to it, threw the basketball at him. They both were ejected. But, like, and I didn't really understand this until I got older, and then listening to more uh, podcasts and documentaries on ESPN and other sports networks, he said, I was just doing my job. I, was, I, I didn't want to make any friends. You know, we were pretty tight as the Pistons, but I was to go into the NBA. Do my job, whatever it took to get to that next level and win a championship. And it also kind of reminded me, and not to digress too much, Christian Leitner. I, I can't stand Duke. I couldn't stand him. But when I saw his documentary on ESPN, I think it was about three or four years ago. Again, great basketball player, but everybody could not stand him. For a, he played from 88 to 92 and for Duke, made it to the final four, four years in a row, and then they won. In his last year, 91 and 92, they won back-to-back NCAA titles. But again, he said, too, I'm not here to make any friends. I'm here to do a job. If you don't like it, you know, more or less screw you. That's what I'm here to do. And the more I think about that, yeah, he had a job to do. That's the way he did it. Other people would do it a little bit differently. But again, as I I said, as I've gotten older, I'm starting to respect Liam Beer a little bit more. And just some background knowledge. Again, when I had heard he was from Notre Dame, I think my dad had told me. And then a couple of my uncles said, too, like, you know, he went to Notre Dame. Like, no way. Because when he was there, I was in diapers. And the players I knew from Notre Dame at that time were like David Rivers, Ken Barlow. Those were the people. When I started following like Notre Dame athletics, I was, you know, like I said I was 11 at this time. I probably my first memory is like seven, eight, you know, for Notre Dame sports. And then with the basketball team, more like 8-9. And I was like, there's no way he went to Notre Dame. And then I saw old pictures and you know old videos. And I, st- I even back then, I looked at his stats. I'm like, they were nothing special. And if I look here, again, at my cheat sheet, he actually flunked out after his freshman year. And in order to get reinstated, he went two semesters to Owens Technical College in Toledo. For anyone in Ohio, we call it Owens Tech. It's pretty familiar, uh, college and he re-entered Notre Dame. And again, let me just go over his stats at Notre Dame. You know, his first season, 75, 76, he averaged 8.2 points per game and his rebounds were 7.9. Nothing spectacular. 77, 78, 8.1 points per game, 6.6 rebounds per game. You would think, you know, his senior year, 78, 79, he would, you know, at least in double figures, it was his worst year ever at Notre Dame. 6.4 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game. And you got to think, how in the heck did this guy – he ended up getting drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And just one other little tidbit about Bill Lambeer, and hopefully this will not be the case as – I'm not saying it would be great next year, but he's he was a player for – Notre Dame's only Final Four appearance. So in 78, he was on the team. That's the only time so far. Hopefully, in my lifetime, we get to see them go to the Final Four. He was on that 78 team. And then the next year, they went to the Elite Eight in 79. He was on that team. And just a real, like I said, I'm a big pop culture, movie, TV guy. I said he was a, a spoiled rich kid. And he admitted he a spoiled rich kid. But he had a job in high school. And his job, for those that don't – are and I'm dating myself here, but I was actually in diapers. And I don't remember this show much. My sisters did. Land of the Lost, when kids actually watched cartoons on Saturdays. It wasn't a cartoon, but it was a children's program, live action. It was about this family that ended up going back in the time of the dinosaurs. And one of these creatures was called a sleestack, which was actually like a Bigfoot, but a reptilian Bigfoot. Bill Lambeer, that was his high school job because he was so tall. He was a slee stack for the show land of the lost. But again, like I said, he he ended up playing for, he ended up being drafted by the, again, going back to my notes here, drafted by the Cavaliers. He was traded. And again, I just want to show you, what he was with Detroit, he pretty much averaged a double-double per game. So from, I'm going to look at stats here from 81 to 90. So in the new year, 82, 12.8 points per game, 11.3 rebounds per game. 83, 13.6, 12.1. 84, 17.3, 12.2. 85, 17.5, 12.4. 86, 16.6, 13.1. 87, when they almost beat the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. 15.4, 11.6. 88, 88 when they beat the Celtics in the finals but then lost to the Lakers in the finals, 13.5, 10.1. Ironically, when they did win the championship in 88-89, 12.1 points per game and 9.6 rebounds per game. So that was the first time he was under a double-double for the Pistons. And then 89-90, 12.1 and 9.6, that's when Rodman started getting more playing time. And I'm trying to think who else – James Edwards came off the bench a little bit more. Vinnie Johnson, he more or less started – he was still a starter, but started sitting the bench a little bit more is what I'm trying to say. And then his last year, 93-94, 9.9 points per game, 5.1 rebounds per game. So, again, I didn't like him back then, but the more that I – as I become an adult, it's like you can't always you know make everybody happy You got to do what you got to do. And that was his way to become the best player he could to challenge his teammates. You know, like I said, it was one of the most popular way. And he did go overboard a lot of the times with his physical play, but he got the job done. And in his after basketball career, he did try to become an assistant with the, and he actually was an assistant with the Timberwolves. That didn't really work out. However, he's become one of the greatest coaches in WNBA history, the women's NBA league. He ended up, ironically, coaching the Detroit Shock, which is the women's team for Detroit in the WNBA. His first year, they went 9-13. Second year, 2003, WNBA champions. 2006, WNBA champions. 2007, WNBA runners-up. 2008, back to being WNBA champions. Then he went into the New York Liberty, which Isaiah Thomas, he was part of that front office. And again, I'll get into that a little bit later, how he treated um, Adrian Dantley. Did not do as well with the New York Liberty. However, he was Eastern Conference champions in 2016 and 17. So again, WNBA runners up. And then he ended up coaching the Las Vegas Aces, which was an expansion team in the WNBA in 2018. First year, like 14 and 20, 21 and 13 in 2019. And then in 2020, they didn't win the WNBA, but were the WNBA, WNBA runners-up. And I try to find any negative article I could find last night, you know, like former players, you know, bad-mouthing him, WNBA players, assistant coaches. There is the most utmost respect for Coach Lambeer in the WNBA. His assistants said, you know, at times he could be very difficult in your face. The players said that too but we knew he was trying to make us the best we could be to get to that next level. And I heard too, like he only wanted assistant coaches for one or two years because he said, I want to develop you to become a head coach or an assistant coach at a better opportunity. He's like, if I'm not doing my job to make my assistants reach that next level, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I thought that was pretty cool because sometimes you get a head coach that just wants to keep you there, micromanage you. He didn't want to do that. He's like, I wanted to develop my players. I want to develop my assistant coaches for them to reach the next level. So, again, even though I became a Piston fan, he he wasn't my favorite player as a Piston fan. I said I really disliked him when they were pushing the Celtics in 87 and then finally overtook them in 88. But I think for the most part, Notre Dame fans really don't have much to say about Bill Lambeer. I don't think he's in the ring of honor for the basketball team, the ones I know just at the top of my head, I believe Adrian Dantley is, Austin Carr, obviously, Luke Herringote, Lafonzo Ellis, David Rivers, you know, in the women's, Muffet McGraw, she's in there already, you know, Ruth Riley. I, I would like to – that may be the thing I'll follow up on down the road. But, again, I, and like I said, I, I, when I was growing up, many people, when you thought of NBA players – From Notre Dame, it was John Paxton, Orlando Woolridge, Kelly Trapuca. You know, then Alfonso Ellis came. Billy and Beer, at least in my opinion, was never mentioned as a Notre Dame guy. But again, to me, uh, you know, he'd be a good guy to have a a beard with, you know. I think think he would just tell you the way it is. You know, that's the way he played the game. And I think he'd be, even though, like I said, they always said spoiled rich kid, but I think he's very approachable. I could be totally wrong on that. I was totally wrong on Brady Quinn. I had heard, you know, pre-Madonna, not the most, you know, cordial person to be around, thinks he's better than you. He came to our Notre Dame club last year, and he was one of the nicest celebrities I ever met. I mean, I couldn't, we couldn't get away from him. He was constantly engaging us, talking to us. You know, at one point I had to say, you know, hey, Brady, you can talk to some other people at this other table. I got to go and make the rounds myself. Not that I'm a celebrity, but like, you know, other friends that were there. I just wanted him to make sure he was, you know, talking to everybody, and he did. He he made sure he went to every table, but it was just tough to break away from him because he was constantly engaging us, which I thought was super cool. And I said, "I will." I was totally wrong about him. So, again, I'm going to get for the next podcast. Adrian Daly is going to be a little bit different. I, 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 I liked him, but I thought he was disrespected big time, kind of like in a corporate America type environment when you hear about someone just being totally dissed because someone does not like them. And that was not just my opinion, but from the research I've been doing, Isaiah did not like Adrian Dantley traded him away and he was left out of that 88 or I'm sorry, 89 title, but that's for the next podcast. But again, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I would never thought I'd be praising, not really praising, but giving him his fair share, uh, Bill Lambeer, as 40, a 46-year-old, and as an 11-year-old, I couldn't stand the guy. And even when I was a Kisman fan, I really didn't like him either. So how things can change once we see different perspectives of everything. So not to get on an entirely different soapbox, but again, hope you enjoyed episode number four. And as always, go Irish!